since you all have shown up on Labor Day weekend, I thought we would play a little game, all right? I was going to ask you if you're game for the game, but you're here, so jump in. So the game is, well, I should be pointing up there. I can't, I'm the only one to see this. Which rock said it? All right, so Simon gets renamed Peter or Cephas, uh, and that means rock. And then we have Dwayne the Rock Johnson. All right, so there are going to be phrases from each one, and you're going to guess. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hands. Which rock said it, Simon Peter or Dwayne Johnson? Okay, and to be fair, just so you know, all of the quotes from Simon Peter are from one of his epistles. So just to give you a frame of reference. All right, so here we go. I'll never be full. I'll always be hungry. Simon Peter, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. All right. right. When he speaks to you, he speaks with an earnest voice. Simon Peter, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. DJ. That one threw you, right? Yeah. Some of these, and they're gone. That's, That's why this is so good. All right. Don't give the opposition a second thought, even through thick and thin. Simon Peter, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. School board says. See, it's in one of the letters. So it throws you off, and this is probably not King James. This is not the King James Version. So I don't think thick and thin is in most of our Bibles, but the idea is there. All right. Your house started to shake, the heavens opened up, and God himself spoke to you. Simon Peter, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. There's a reason all of these are lowercase, so we could throw God in there, and you didn't, you know, it threw you off a little bit. So anyway, he's been in the Scorpion Kings, all these weird movies too, so you just, not just Fast and Furious and things like that. So anyway, all right. Just a few more. These people are nothing but brute beasts born in the wild. Simon Peter, Dwayne Johnson. Simon Peter. All right. See, these are fun. I thought this was fun. I'm I'm a Bible nerd, so I think this is fun. Don't lose a minute. Sorry, I jumped in fast fast on that one. Don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given. Simon Peter. Dwayne Johnson, Simon Peter, just a few more, which one we just do, all right, she returned to save the lives of you and your people, Simon Peter, The Rock, The Rock, I don't know what movie that's from, anyway, most of these I don't, um, I want to be a man who is truthful and who won't let pride get in the way. Simon Peter? Are we still at Simon Peter? Okay, I saw there were some delays. I'm just giving you a chance. All right. Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He's still working on the pride thing, I think, though. But it's okay. It's okay. He makes good movies. 
Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning. Simon Peter? Dwayne Johnson. Simon Peter. Last one. I'm aware of what tomorrow brings. Simon Peter? Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. All right. Y'all kind of... Sometimes yes, sometimes no. That was it anyway. That's your Labor Day weekend sermon treat. <laughs> but there's more. There's more. So Peter, Simon Peters. We don't read his name change story or his name adapted story. Um, but in today's text anyway, we hear his call story as he encounters Christ for the first time. And that's where we meet Simon Peter. Uh, and Jesus will call him both names. It's kind of like your mama calling your middle name, I think. Because Simon gets, Peter gets in trouble from time to time. Um, but sometimes it's for a good reason, too. So his name is Simon, but Jesus names him, renames him Cephas. Now, the people of the first century Israel, the Hebrews, their, the, their native language wasn't Hebrew. It was Aramaic. So they spoke Aramaic. And the word that Jesus renamed Simon to was Cephas. Um, you may be familiar with the word name Bocephus, right? So that's from that too. Um, but Cephas is his name. But when that goes to Greek, it became Petros, which is where we get Peter from. So that's just the, the uh, evolution of his name and how we understand that name, uh, who, how we understand that name now. And so Jesus calls him, Peter is a, a, he's a fisherman by trade. It's not the world's deadliest catch out there in the Sea of Galilee. It's a freshwater lake, and there most parts of it you could, um, you, you could get past it pretty easily. Um, many parts of it you can walk. It's just it's chest deep if you're on the, out toward the edges of it. But he spends his life on that lake, and it's not the same kind of casting and catching, of course, that... Um, that most of us enjoy when we fish. And by the way, there's a difference between fishing and catching, and I'm okay with both. Just fishing, those of you who know, know. If you know, you know. And so they, they spend all night because it's hot during the day, and the fish are more prevalent and easier to find at night, so they fish all night long. And if they don't fish, they don't eat. If you've ever been camping and didn't bring any food because you were going to eat from what you caught, you kind of know what that feels like a little bit. But there were a lot of people that counted on them coming in with a catch from the evening. And so as Jesus um, go, takes them back out, and it's the daytime, they catch more fish than their one ship can carry, and the, and the, and the nets themselves um, almost sink two boats together. And he changes Peter's job description. You are a fisherman. But now you're a fisher of men. Or you were a catcher of fish, and now you are a catcher of people. I'm going to make great use of you. In the midst of that, we also hear a little bit of John and James as they come in as part of the, their call as well. Sons of Zebedee, by the way, my favorite wrestling tag team name. Sons of Thunder. Zebedee is thunder, right? So that's a, anyway, that's a total aside. Maybe it goes back a little bit to Dwayne Johnson. I don't know. So Peter gets identified pretty early as 
a spokesman, the spokesperson on behalf of the disciples. He, he, he does it himself. He gets, kind of throws himself out there. He's pretty, I think he's passionate. He's uh, maybe a little reckless sometimes, um, but he just puts him, his whole self into what he is doing, it seems like. So not only does Jesus call him out as a leader, but he also kind of throws himself out as one as well. So over the next three years, from his call to Jesus' crucifixion, he spends his life, his day-to-day, with Jesus and these 11 other guys and and those who follow them from place to place and those whom they meet as they move from place to place. And his life is transformed. He spends his his days, oh, he spends his nights with his hands in nets and fish and and all that. Spends his days probably... um, Selling those fish and, and doing the business of what it means after you've fished and caught those fish and to sell those and make a living from it. But now his life is one who is given over to learn. These next three years are about learning for Peter, for the disciples. That's what the word means. Learners who follow, follows her learn. They're spending that time um, learning and growing and what it means to follow this person, this person, Jesus. And then eventually we get towards the end of that time frame and it's about two and a half years in, close to three, and Jesus has the disciples gathered up on a mountainside and he says, okay, who do the people say that I am? There are people out there, who do they say that I am? And they start listing off holy people. One is John the Baptist, who's already been beheaded, but maybe he's come back from the dead. Other one's Elijah, because they're anticipating their greatest prophet to come back. Maybe it's him. Maybe, maybe that's who this person, Jesus, is. And the disciples sitting around know that neither of those are true. Some have met John the Baptist, John the baptizer. Um, but Jesus turns to them and asks them, who do you say that I am? And this is the first time this proclamation is made in Scripture, that you, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is in Matthew 16. You're the Messiah. Peter's the first one to make that proclamation. He's the first one to openly make that connection. Maybe that's been in the the little side conversations that they've been having around the campfire or while they're walking on the road. But none have been bold enough to proclaim it and embrace it. And Jesus responds to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. This is a a singularly important moment in Scripture because there's a lot that goes on after this. We uh, We see it's almost a microcosm of their relationship between Jesus and Peter. They're back and fourthness because we see also in this not only is he bold in his proclamation but he's bold a little bit later we see peter's brashness or his petulousness all throughout scripture like when he walked out on the water with jesus on the boat he's just like sure jesus i'll take a walk out there he spent his life on the water he knows what it's like and when it's and there's a storm about to come you don't want to be there and then he sinks when he sees the storm and focuses on the storm We see that part of Peter. We see him um, boasting about the fact that he'll never leave or forsake Jesus. Jesus, I've always got your back until I don't, apparently, because then he doesn't. He denies Jesus three times. 
But then we go back to that mountain top where they're gathered up there and we see his brashness unfold once again as they're talking about what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. He proclaims to them, this means I'm going to die. This doesn't mean great things. This doesn't mean me sitting on a throne and you all being my, my guys in the court. This means hardship. This means suffering. This means my death. And <laughs> And Peter's response in Matthew 16, 22 is, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me. You know what the next word is? Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. So we see that part of their interaction together. We see Peter's brashness and boldness, and not only his proclamation of Jesus' Messiahship, but we also see it again in his, I don't want these things to happen, and not putting them all in context, not connecting with, this is what it must mean for the Messiah. This is not a life of royalty, and this is not a life of, of uh, kingship on a throne, but this is a life of suffering and sacrifice. And then we see it one more time, another part of their relationship up on that mountain. Peter's brashness, his boldness, his faith in Jesus, but then also the things that get him in trouble lead to Jesus' restoration of him. So before he makes the proclamation that gets him called Satan, Jesus does say this to him. Well, he affirms, I'm sorry, I had a different place. He affirms that Peter, as one who is the rock, part of that proclamation that he just spoke will be the foundation of their faith. He's reminding Peter that not only it's you, but that's that spoken word of faith upon which we build the rest of this, that you will build the rest of this church. It's not the rocks up here. It's not the stone of the mountain. And there's a lot going on. That mountain side is a whole sermon in and of itself that I won't, won't share with you, try to fold it in today. But that statement, that proclamation, the whole church is going to be built on that. And he brings Peter back in. And of course, we remember of Jesus' denial, or Peter's denial of Jesus three times, we get to that place of restoration for him. Most of the time, we're we're reminded of that that triple do you love me interaction between Peter and Jesus at a campfire. Jesus asked Peter after the crucifixion, after his resurrection, after he's reappeared to them, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, of course, you know that I do. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know that I do. Peter, do you love me? Yes. And he says it in shame. Each time Jesus is telling him, go and feed my sheep or feed my lambs. But even before that, we see this moment in, in John's gospel where Peter and the disciples are out fishing. This time we know they've clearly caught nothing. They see a figure on the shore side and he tells them the castle on the other side of the boat and they catch so many fish, it does nearly tear the nets, and they have to drag it up 
onto the shore themselves. It's almost as if Jesus is saying to Peter, I know you've messed up. I know this didn't go the way that you would have wished it would. But I know you, Peter. I've known you since I first met you, if not before. That's why I warned you at the, at the Last Supper. He warns Peter that this is going to happen. You're going to deny me. Yet he still holds Peter up as their leader. So he recreates that initial call scene, that call experience of Peter out on the lake, out on the Sea of Galilee with his fishing nets filled to overflowing, and he recreates it reaffirming his call upon Peter's life. Ever before he, get, ever, uh, before he gets to the campfire, before he asks him three times, do you love me? He's reaffirming the call on Peter's life. I think that happens in our lives. We, we seek to follow Jesus' will and way as we, as we come to know Jesus, as whether you're at a place of exploring or, or, or learning or maturing in faith, you, you're continuing this journey and you're trying to do your best and you're wondering, you know, is God giving up on me now because I've messed up too much? And then God continues to offer that, do you love me? Inviting us back in, do you love me? reaffirming our call do you love me peter's life is a is a beautiful reflection of that call and messing up and restoration back to back to his place where he's put him the beautiful thing is that when god calls us as god meets us and as i mean god's always done this but as god puts us to to task for his kingdom good he sees us as we were, as we are, as we can be with him and as we would be without him. And he calls all of that, all of that and all the things around us. He calls us in, not just in a, in a moment of time isolated from all the things that we've done and might do. But he calls all of us knowing, knowing, hoping we might not, but knowing we have the capacity to screw it up royally. Yet he continues to ask the question, do you love me? When our heart says yes, he continues to reaffirm our call. Go and feed my sheep. Go and feed my lambs. Go and take care of my people. Tell other people about me. But Peter's story doesn't end at the Gospels. It keeps going. Peter, we see him in the book of Acts. He's the one that has the main stage on the day of Pentecost. His sermon, and the, along with the sermons of the others there, four to 5,000 people proclaimed faith in Christ for the first time. This is the one who, who stumbled kind of over, not necessarily his words, but his thoughts, and spoke before he should have, and didn't always have everything right there. But in that moment, in, in embracing this Holy Spirit as it had come upon him, he preached, and, well, 3,000 new believers came that day. And he spoke before the religious leaders when he was arrested, and he spoke eloquently as a person who knew, knew what he was talking about and with authority. Later on, as, as he continues to preach and to be a part of the leading of the church, 
Jesus has told them to go and to preach the good news to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, from the center and, and on outward. And Peter is at the core of it. He's certainly been in Jerusalem. He takes it towards uh, Judea. He is present in Samaria when the, uh, when the Samaritans receive the Holy Spirit. We read about that in Acts 8. And he perhaps is the one who makes the first step towards the ends of the earth when he leads the Roman centurion to know Christ as they read Scripture together. The one who had denied him three times returned. God continues to use him as, he can, as Peter continues to follow faithfully his Lord and his Savior, his Master, and his friend, Jesus Christ. And then we even see him go a step further. He spends time with those, with Gentiles, those others, gathered with many others outside of the faith. But just as he had before, sometimes he got it right and sometimes he didn't. Sometimes when, at one moment he was with the, uh, with the Galatians and he said, yeah, you don't have to do all these Jewish things. They're not for you. They're, they're for those who are of the Hebrew faith or of lineage, actually. He said, just, do we just do the things? But then some of the church leaders show up and he doesn't sit at the table. He, want, he wants to sit with the cool kids, you know. He didn't sit with them to eat because you're not supposed to eat with those of, of non-Hebrew faith. So Paul calls him on the mat as um, me and you lifted up Paul last week. Paul calls him out and says, Peter, this is not the way. So Peter still messes up sometimes. Leader of the church messes up sometimes. Things happen. It's a great, a great measure of, our, of the human life. A great, mo not model, but just, an just to show us that the ideal is not always real. And often we fall short of it. But Peter lives his life for Christ, even up to his death. When he is put to death, they're going to crucify me. And he says, you cannot crucify me like you did Jesus. Cannot do that. I cannot be done the same way. Not because he was afraid of it, just because he didn't feel he was worthy of it. So they still crucified him, but they crucified him upside down. Some other things that I think we can learn from Peter's life, outside of humility, uh, embracing the call that Jesus has on us, even, even when it's hard, is that indeed Jesus uses unlikely folks. We've, you've heard that from us before. You've probably heard that other places before. Jesus uses the most unlikely folks. Peter was probably an awesome leader of fishing boats. He didn't come off the gate so awesome as a disciple. And he continues to mess up, but Jesus never gives up on him. And Jesus never gives up on us. He puts us to work for his kingdom, knowing what we've done, knowing what we can do, knowing what we might or might not do as we follow him or don't. We also learn from Peter's life how patient Jesus is. Oh no, I've messed up. And we should be concerned when we mess up. But we also should not shake in fear and trembling that Jesus will never forgive us. That's not the case. It's not the case. When we repent and turn back, Jesus is always there welcoming us. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Do you love me? You know I do. Jesus is patient 
And Jesus forgives unfaithfulness. Sometimes in our lives we feel like what we have done is, been, is too much. It's too much. This is too big. There's no way God's going to forgive this. This is just beyond even God's ability to, to forgive through the, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you say it all out like that, it doesn't seem the case, though, does it? It's not too big for God to forgive us. It's not too big for Jesus' sacrifice and death on the cross. Nothing's too big for that. There's one unforgivable sin, and, and those who have that one apparently don't care. We, don't, we can't even nail it down exactly, the unforgivable sin. And so if you're worried about it, if you've committed it or not, if you're worrying, don't worry. That's the beauty of that one. But Jesus forgives our unfaithfulness. And he's really and willing to welcome us back. As a, a young Christian, when I was growing up, I didn't see a lot of connection with Peter. John was kind of the, you know, he's the young, he's the young disciple. He's, if you see people's uh, rendition, artistic renditions of him, John's the one without the beard. Peter's beard is long and gray, and he's, I'm starting to grow into that, but I've got a while, I think. We'll see. Um, <clears throat> but as a young person, I didn't connect with him, not because of what I imagined he looked like, but because of his manner. I was happy to be unheard and unseen and just do my thing. Um, I was more like James and John in the fact that they went and got mama to talk to Jesus. You know, our boys deserve a better seat at the table. I was, I, that was okay with that. That would have been me. But the older I've gotten, the more experience I've uh, gained, the more uh, secure I am in my faith and in my call, the more I find myself in Peter's place, speaking with passion. Sometimes it looks a little brash. Sometimes it's impetuous. Sometimes I wish I could take them all back before I've, after I've let them go. But as I've grown in faith and confidence in, in who Jesus sees me as, and as Jesus has put me to use, I connect more with Peter. Not out of some great image of myself, but out of humility And oftentimes, and sometimes, I should say, seeking forgiveness. Peter's life isn't a perfect life. Even after his call, even after Pentecost, even after he's been raised to leadership in the church, his life is not a perfect one. What a, what a great relief for us. But at the same time, what a, what a, a call to do God's will follow Jesus, even when we fall down, even when we fail. But boy, when we get it right, what joy it brings, not only us, but it brings our Savior. And God's kingdom is glorified. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my lamb. Sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my lamb. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. No matter how many times we've had to go back and forth with Jesus and seeking forgiveness, he continues to put us to work for his kingdom good. That others might be blessed from the blessings we've received. May we all go and do likewise. Let's pray. Well, as we enter into a time of prayer, we'll begin with a time of silence. Just a time to reflect and use that as you will. I'll lead us in prayer after that. And then we have the opportunity to lift the Lord's Prayer together with one voice. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for never giving up on us, for never leaving us or forsaking us. Even when our lives turn from that which you would have us live, and even when we follow your will and way, but get a little proud of ourselves, you you welcome us, turn us to your way to in the fullest extent, and set us back onto the right path, put in us to use for your kingdom. Lord, and as we live for you, we can't help but to serve you and to serve others in your name. Continue to remind us that it does mean that when we are blessed by you to share those blessings, that as we are blessed by you to tend to your, to your flock and to extend it, to make disciples of those who have not yet come to follow and love your son. Also, Lord, help us to remember your great mercy and compassion upon our lives. We don't always feel like we're in a place of despair or utter brokenness. Sometimes we are. But even in our day-to-day when we fall just short of where we believe you would have us to be, help us to rest assured in your forgiveness and your mercy. And Lord, as we experience those things and are reminded of them, may we be ever so willing to extend those to others, to be those who are quick to forgive, to be merciful and compassionate to others, and to know and accept that you see us and love us just as we are, but you don't leave us that way. Help us to follow your son faithfully in all that we say, do, and even think. And Lord, as we pursue the things of faith in this life's journey, we also are reminded of the fallenness of our world around us and the brokenness within. So Lord, as we come into your place for worship, we also come bearing burdens for ourselves, for family and friends, neighbors, strangers, near and far. We lay them all at your feet. Whether we are seeking healing in the midst of illness or injury, seeking wholeness in the midst of any of life's shortcomings, seeking redemption and mercy, seeking Renewal in relationships, guidance and direction as we seek to figure out which way to go. And on and on. May we remember to turn to you and to seek you. and To know that as we pray that help us to trust in you. That even though your answer may not be the answer we would have or in the way or timing in which we would have it answered. That you answer every prayer. And you're always with us. 
And Lord, and we give thanks for every good thing, every great blessing. In Jesus' name, we pray together the prayer that he has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.